The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code ROSS. That's code ROSS for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It's the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it is. But it's not just any Ross Tucker Football Podcast. It is a Wisdom Wednesday presented by the DraftKings Sportsbook app, America's number one rated sportsbook app. I'm Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman, five teams, seven years, a bunch of podcasts. Monday was awesome with James Franklin, the head coach of the Penn State Nittany Lions. We also dove into the top running backs for college football in 2020, or at least for the NFL draft in 2021. We'll see what happened to the college football on the College Draft Podcast. You can check me out at Ross Tucker NFL everywhere. Got a lot of retweets and likes yesterday for A, a Jason Peters post, and B, a post from one of you, one of the listeners that talked about a time when I had gotten cut by the Bills and still signed his autograph when he was eight. Now he's 23, which makes me feel really, really old. Anyway, if you're not following or checking it out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Ross Tucker NFL, you're missing out. We're also posting all of these highlight clips from these shows, the video version from youtube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL on YouTube, as well as Twitter and Instagram at Ross Tucker pod. You can be the spread the word winner or the sponsor confirmation email winner on Friday. Shout out today goes to my boy Todd from Pennsylvania, the newest patron, patreon.com slash RT media. Good to have you aboard, Todd. He's actually been on the Fantasy Feast before. Todd brings a wealth of knowledge, just adding to the awesomeness we have going on over at our private Slack channel for the patrons, patreon.com slash RT Media. Speaking, by the way, of awesome, a little bit of a change up today for multiple reasons. One is Andrew Brandt's travel schedule. So we've got a co-sells concepts edition of the RTFP here on a Wednesday, keeping you guys on your toes a little bit. We will have Andrew Brandt to talk about all the franchise tag deadline stuff and what happens today on Friday. So it'll be good to recap then. But you getting Greg Cosell early this week, keeping you guys on your toes. Appreciate his flexibility, of course. It's Big Show time. The Big Show. 
Greg, you are the man. We know people are loving these segments as they should. Thank you so much for your flexibility. We're going to get into situational football in a little bit, and everybody needs to follow Greg on Twitter, at Greg Cosell. But before we do that, Greg, I had two different questions I wanted to ask you. One relates to the big contracts for Chris Jones and Miles Garrett yesterday. Now, we've talked about this in the past. You and I both agree every position matters. There's no position on the field where a coach says, yeah, I don't care what guy's there. They never say that. They care about all of them. But I will say this. When you watch games, when you study film, and when you think as an academic exercise about where you would allocate money or what position groups seem to have the greatest impact on the outcomes of games we know about quarterback. Do you think D-line is number two, Greg? Because it certainly seems like, at least financially, that's what the NFL teams think. Well, I think most people believe that pass rush is a critical aspect of the game. Now, there's been a lot of discussion in recent years over, the, let's say, the last two, three years about what's more important for defense, pass rush or coverage. Um, at the end of the day, what you're trying to do defensively is get teams into known, predictable, longer yardage situation on third down. You can do that as a defense. Your pass rush becomes critical. And most teams would like to be able to rush the quarterback with four and keep seven in coverage. It's a numbers game. The more you can rush with four and be successful, the better you can cover because you have just more bodies in coverage. So. I think most defensive coordinators, and I've had the opportunity to talk to a few this offseason, will tell you that rushing four, your four down linemen, is something they would like to be able to do on third down. So, yes, whether you want to look at defensive ends like Miles Garrett or interior defensive linemen like Chris Jones, those players are exceedingly important to good, good defense. Look at a team we know well, the Philadelphia Eagles. Jim Schwartz predominantly likes to rush four. When Fletcher Cox is at the top of his game, and he's one of the two or three best D tackles in the league, they don't have to blitz. They can rush four, and they're much better in coverage. So that's what teams would ultimately like to do. The other question I want to ask you before we dive into what I think is very important in terms of situational football is uh, I call them the four-letter network. It's where your show resides, ESPN. Uh, your NFL matchup show, ESPN, ESPN2, they've been polling executives, I guess, front office guys, scouts, and ranking players by position. <laughs> I have found it to be a very interesting exercise because it has reinforced my belief that talent evaluators, for whatever reason, still value ability and talent over productivity. I mean, don't even get me started on their offensive tackle rankings. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. When you watch the tape, sort of the, uh, the balance between production versus ability. And even like, I think, I think the last one they came up with was wide receivers, Greg, and they had Julio Jones far and away the number one receiver in the NFL over a guy like Michael Thomas. How do you balance when evaluating players, their talent and ability versus their results? Well, 
if you're talking about it from a coaching perspective, coaches would talk about the ability to execute. If you're talking about production, you're also then have to factoring in scheme. There's no question Michael Thomas is a great player. Uh, I guess, what did he catch, 140-plus balls last year? Would he catch 140-plus balls in every offense in the NFL? Not likely, which wouldn't detract at all from the quality that he is as a player. But if you're looking at pure physical traits, Julio Jones has more physical traits than Michael Thomas. Now, you can debate forever who you would rather have. I think if you put the players in a vacuum, pretty much everybody would say they would rather have Julio Jones. Production is a function of many, many things. And, you know, it's funny. You talk about offensive linemen, which you know better than I. Uh, I think in the NFL, because the players they're playing against are usually better athletes than the offensive linemen blocking them, I think you're looking for the execution, the ability to pass protect however you get it done. Yes, is it pretty to see a guy who's a dancing bear and looks good doing it? But, Ross, you know at the end of the day, what's the job? The pass protector to run block. So do you want to do it well? Do you want to do it as your coach? Do you want to do it really nicely every snap? That doesn't happen in the NFL. You know that. So I think at the end of the day, execution of what you're asked to do, certainly at, at particular positions, becomes far more important than how pretty you are in terms of traits. Yeah, I mean, I love watching some of the things that like Trent Williams or Tyron Smith or Laramie Tunstall or some of these guys can do. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't care if you get on all fours and bark like a dog. I mean, if you go the whole game and your guy never touches the quarterback, I don't really care what your physical traits are. So that we could we could talk about that all day. We promised some co-sells concepts. <laughs> and we're going to get into situational football. And it's interesting, Greg. I had nine head coaches in the NFL. And almost without fail, I would tell you that the best ones spent more time going over specific game situations and situational football than the other ones. So Schottenheimer, for sure. Parcells, all the time. Belichick, all the time. I mean, it, it felt like all you ever did was situational football. I don't remember it as much with the other coaches. So I guess the first question is just your thoughts on the importance as a guy that studies this every day of situational football. Well, you can make the argument, Ross, that the whole game is situational football. And I think that the coaches that really focus on that hard will do better because at the end of the day, you do different things on different downs and you do different things based on field location. So Situational football dictates what you do on offense, speaking from an offensive perspective, but it also dictates what you're going to get from the defense. So situational football is really what the entire game is about. Uh, you pass protect differently on first down than you do on third down. Your, your pressure concepts are different if you're a defensive coordinator on first down, if you're in your base defense, let's say, than they are on third and long when you're in a nickel or a dime sub package. So the entire game is really built around situational football in the way it's coached and played. You know, it's really interesting because – I've never heard anybody say that before, but you're right. If you think about it philosophically, every play is a different situation. Like the, That's exactly every right. play, you know, we call these things situational football, but really 
every play is situational football. Every, everything is a, a, a unique situation. Third and two as opposed to third and 12, totally different, totally different galaxies. Well, I'll give you 30. On the field, what you're going to do. It's a really good point, Greg. Um, I will say this. It feels like there's no doubt, and we'll start with these two, goal line and red zone. There's no doubt that offenses have different plays for those situations, and there's no doubt that defenses have different schemes as well. The one thing I've noticed, though, Greg, it seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, with every passing year, when teams get inside the five, I feel like we see less and less jumbo heavy sets and teams more and more maybe just being in 12 personnel or 11 personnel and trying to keep the defense spread for years, Greg. The philosophy was get an extra O-lineman out there, get three tight ends out there, pack everything in and just grind them and don't let anybody come off the edge. And they realized, you know what? Why are we bringing 20 bodies in here? It makes it really difficult to try to squeeze this guy through. I, I don't have any stats to point this out, Greg. This is just anecdotally me watching football and calling games. I don't see true goal line offenses being used as much anymore. Well, you do more, let's say, at the one or two yard line than you do at the five or the six. for sure. Um, because it's obviously less yards. But, you know, I think red zone is a really good example of situational football. And for the benefit of you and I talking about this, let's look at red zone as two separate things. One to the 10-yard line, which would be the tight red zone, and the 11 to 20-yard line, which would be the high red zone. That all changes what you do on offense and what you do on defense. You know, a lot of offensive coaches will talk about the fact that they need to find out from a defense where the break point is. In other words, at what yard line in the red zone does the defense change what they do in, in the field? And that point is different for a lot of teams. Now, I talked to a veteran quarterback who played in the league for a lot of years, and he told me that a lot of teams will change their defenses in the red zone, and a lot of teams don't do very much change at all. It depends on the coordinator. What you tend to see in the red zone, and Bill Belichick started a lot of this, is you tend to see from a defensive standpoint a lot of what we call bracket coverage, where you double-team two receivers. You tend to see zero blitz particularly in the high red zone from 11 to 20, depending on the down. Uh, you tend to see what we call kind of a combination of cover two and cover four. It's what they call red zone two, because obviously the safeties don't have to play as deep as they would in a normal cover two. So it looks more like a cover four, but it's kind of a red zone two. It's just more condensed. So there are specific defenses that you definitely see in the red zone. Um, offensively, you have a specific set of plays that you call in the red zone. Now, one point I do want to make, and this is true of, of pretty much any down and distance, through a third down, it'll be true in the red zone. Players and, and coaches are not choosing from 50 plays, Ross, as you know, when you get into specific situations. You talk to coaches, and maybe if they have a big-time veteran quarterback with great understanding, if it gets to be third and long, they might choose from 10 plays. If you don't have a veteran quarterback, there's five plays that they go into a game plan with for any given third down situation. You don't choose from 50 plays because you have to practice this stuff. 
can't practice 50 plays in every down and distance situation. It's just not feasible. Such a good point, Greg. Uh, when I was in New England for short yardage and goal line, they only had two runs, zone yeah. left and zone right. That's it. That's all they yeah. run. And and the other team knew it was coming, but we just practiced it over and over and over again. They didn't like plays on the goal line where anybody pulled. They thought that was a bad idea. They didn't like anything that was slow developing. They wanted to just go. Hit it left, hit it right, running back, press it, find a seam, and go. I mean, you knew. You knew. And now we would change up the snap count a little bit. And a lot of times we'd go on first sound and, and kind of get the jump on them that way. But that was the only – I'm amazed. people. Now, they have quarterback sneak too, but um, that's really it. I mean, that, that, that's really it. They didn't believe in anything moving or pulling. Just go. No, a lot of people don't like to pull at the goal line or short yardage because if you pull a guard, you're creating a gap immediately and you can get quick penetration. So if you're playing against an explosive deep tackle, the Aaron Donalds of the world, you know, those guys can penetrate immediately and blow the play up before it gets started. So there's a lot of teams that don't believe in pulling offensive linemen inside the five-yard line. What do you think, Greg? Um, we've never talked about this before. And I know there are statistics that are really against it. What do you think of like throwing the fade ball when you're down near the goal line? Mm. The uh, there's fade? different points of view. I, I think it's kind of a 50-50 deal. I'm not a huge fan. I know there's a lot of coaches who are. I guess it depends on the receiver. Um, so then that would determine whether you really like the play. Um, you know, I think what a lot of teams now try to do is they spread out a little bit and they try to put the single receiver, sometimes not to the boundary side, but they'll put a single receiver to the wide side because they want to throw a quick slant. Like Michael Thomas might run the quick slant as well as any player in the NFL. And if you get him to the wide side of the field as the single receiver, you're bringing bodies to the short side of the field and you have room for the quarterback to throw that quick slant. You get a big bodied receiver who's physical and competitive and he gets his body in between, you know, in front of the defender. Um, I, I like that better than a fade ball, but you also see when it's, let's say, in the inside the five-yard line where you anticipate a lot of man coverage because uh, you don't usually play zone inside the five. If you get man, you get a lot of pick and natural rub concepts because the throw has to be really quick. Obviously, things happen faster in the red zone. It's tighter space. Things happen faster. Uh, so you tend to see a lot of that, those sort of quick natural rub, nat natural pick concepts. And you're allowed to actually have physical contact, contact within, I think, a yard of the line of scrimmage. So you see that a lot because you're just trying to make a quick throw. Um, but, yeah, teams have specific plays inside the five-yard line. It definitely changes inside the five. Uh, I feel like we talked, you know, with going no huddle up tempo last week, I feel like we talked about two-minute offense uh, a little bit. Yep. I, the thing I would – the thing – the point I would make – Specifically about two-minute and four-minute offense. Two-minute offense is you're behind and you need to score quickly. Four-minute offense is you have the lead and you want to try to run the clock out. I will say this. Bill Parcells, I mean, he harped on the rules, Greg, so much. Four-minute offense, a penalty, a holding penalty is absolutely devastating. I remember there being other teams where – they didn't talk about the rules that much. Four-minute offense, it was 
ball security, north and south, and whatever you do, do not get a penalty because right. it stops the clock and pushes you back, and then you're totally you're totally screwed. Um, well, so, uh, go ahead. Well, different people again have different views. Foreman and offense. The general view over the years has been that's when you need to run the ball. You need to be able to run the ball, even though the defense knows you're going to run the ball. So it's your classic case. We hear a lot today about running backs in the run game not being important. The run game is not important until the run game is important. And it becomes important in the four minute. You need to be able to sustain your offense running the ball. Now, that doesn't mean you need explosive 20-yard runs. Hey, they, they're great. You need to be able to stay on schedule with your run game when you're in a four-minute offense because what you, you're trying to do is you're trying to use clock. You're, in a sense, trading time for big chunk yards. You're not looking for big chunk yards. You're looking to eat up time. Now, at some point in a four-minute offense, more than likely you will have to throw it, and then you have to have specific route concepts that you would look at as more low risk where you could gain, you know, if it's third and three, everybody has specific plays for third and three. All you're trying to do there is gain 40 yards. You don't need to gain 15 yards. But you need to be able to run the ball with some effectiveness when you get into a four-minute offense because you're trading time for yards or you're trading yards for time, I guess, way to say it. Yeah, and uh, that reminded me of the other one. You better not go out of bounds. Right. I mean, Parcells, you better not go out of bounds. Whether you're the ball carrier or they do throw it, you better not go out of bounds. Uh, I, I just think that attention to detail and whether or not you do the right thing in those specific situations makes a big difference between wins and losses in the NFL. Greg, uh, go ahead. That, that's the whole point. You know, situational football dictates wins and losses. You know, you we just spoke about four minutes. You could play a great – Great. Here, look at the Super Bowl. And again, there's no one specific play to point out. You can make the argument that the 49ers played a perfect game. The game with seven minutes left, they were up 24-10. Right then at that moment, if you're watching the game, you're thinking 49er football to a T, right, Ross? I mean, it was 49er football to a T, and they end up losing the game. So, you know, and, and obviously they make a big mistake on defense where the, the right corner sits on a dig route instead of dropping back uh, for the hill play, the Tyreek Hill 44-yarder, you know, and then one mistake, and it's not just one, and I'm not trying to just point out the right corner, but you play a great game and then you get into a situation where it's third and long and you can't get off the field. So situational football dictates wins and losses. That's the game. Such a good point, Greg, because that's a perfect example of he didn't really understand the situation and he should have been back. Right. Like he, he sh it's third and 15. Number one, number two, you're up by 10 points. Like and I mean, an underneath defender, a linebacker who was sitting right underneath the dig because the linebacker understood that he could drop back 15 yards. They needed 15 yards. Greg. Well, we could talk about a million situations over time. The point is they're very important and I'm glad we got to hit on a few of them. Thank you so much, as always, for coming on the show. At Greg Cosell on Twitter. Check him out on FantasyPoints.com. Use the code FEAST, all caps, when you do so, so you can try to go against me and Joe in the Fantasy Feast Best Ball Draft. Thank you, Greg. All right, Ross. Appreciate it. Thank you also to ExpressVPN. It's a virtual personal network. It's private. It's just for you. So if you're at like a Starbucks or a Panera 
or at the airport. Nobody can hack your you-know-what, which isn't good. Not only that, you can change the geolocation on your ExpressVPN. So for people that are really into streaming stuff, whether it's Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, you're able to change your, your location and give yourself more options. ExpressVPN, incredibly flat fast, doesn't slow down any connection, doesn't slow down my connection when I'm traveling. Get the most out of your streaming services today at expressvpn.com slash Tucker. If you use that link right there, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. So number one, why not try it? Number two, you could be the sponsor confirmation e email winner. That's expressvpn.com slash Tucker. Expressvpn.com slash Tucker to learn more. Tucks takes. Surprising amount of news to get to today, Ross. Let's start with those big contracts. Chiefs D-tackle Chris Jones, Browns defensive end Miles Garrett. Jones gets $80 million over four years. Garrett gets $125 million over five. Right. So Chris Jones, I mean, franchise tag deadline is today. We are not expecting any other deals. We're recording this 7.50 a.m. right now. But the Chiefs get it done with both Patrick Mahomes and Chris Jones. The cost certainty of Patrick Mahomes' deal allowed them to know exactly where things stood with Chris Jones. He gets $37 million fully guaranteed at signing. Man, that's got to be an awesome feeling. I mean, $37 million for sure for signing his name. $60 million guaranteed for injury is pretty awesome too. So you know if you have a devastating injury – you're getting $60 million. And then it's $20 million a year for him, $5 million more in incentives. Miles Garrett, I don't know if the Miles Garrett one's official. Ian Rappaport was tweeting about it. So I don't know if that's official yet, but $125 million over five years, $25 million a year in new money, setting the bar high. I guess what jumps out to me there, Bri, is this is an example of Andrew Barry, the new Browns GM, learning from Howie Roseman in Philadelphia, who he just worked for. You're going to pay the guy. You want the guy. The sooner you do it, the cheaper over the long haul it's going to be. The longer you wait, the more expensive it'll eventually be. Kind of like Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. Takes. Now, those weren't the only NFL signings. Jason Peters signed back with the Eagles for $3 million guaranteed to play guard. Seahawks tight end Greg Olson signed a deal to be the number two analyst on Fox Sports when he retires from playing, which could be as soon as this postseason. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a trend, evidently. Drew Brees with NBC, Greg Olson with Fox Sports. Good for those guys. You know, I think they're leveraging their playing status to secure opportunities for when they're done playing. Smart. Smart. I don't think it will affect how they play this year, their preparation. You know, I, I made sure that I had my future opportunities starting to come to light while I was still playing. I was always working and looking towards my post-football career, but I still don't think anybody put more time in to their football career than I did. I just – wasn't in uh, playing video games and other things like that. I I wanted to try to get myself set up for what I was going to do next. The Jason Peters thing is remarkable. 
I mean, I mentioned earlier, people need to check out my tweets from yesterday at Ross Tucker NFL. I'm actually going to write about this for my column for the athletic, Bry, uh, about the move for Jason Peters because he's moving to right guard. It's a big move, man. I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you, it's a big change, a really big change. I don't think he's played on the right side since 2005 with the Bills. He's 38 years old. So he's not only moving from left side to right side, which he hasn't done in a long, I mean, 15 years. And then he's playing inside, which he's never done. So it's a big change. I think if anybody can do it at 38, it's him. But I've seen other teams try to move tackles inside. Rod Jones with the Redskins in 02. Todd Wade again with the Redskins in 07. And it didn't go real well. So we'll see whether or not it's able to work out for Jason Peters. I think this, though, ultimately the Eagles have two positions that are question marks on the offensive line, right guard and left tackle. I think bringing Peters in makes it really just one question mark because he, one way or the other, I think he'll be able to fill one of those questions. takes. Some other NFL news include Oakley coming up with a shield for the player helmets. Washington football team officially retired the nickname Redskins and Bucks left tackle. <clears throat> excuse me, Donovan Smith saying that playing football in this pandemic just doesn't seem worth it. So the Oakley shield thing, I think is a really good idea to try to have something that blocks the players, you know, sweat and breathing air and sneezing and everything from other players when they're out there. Uh, the questions are, does it fog up? Does it make them hotter? Those type of things. Uh, but it certainly seems like it's worth a shot to at least try it, see if the guys like it. Um, although, as Dr. Chow has said uh, last Monday on the show, he still thinks you're more likely to get it in the facility during the six days of the week than you are, you know, on Sunday during the game. As for Washington, it's weird. I mean, we have an NFL team now that does not have a nickname. I'm not surprised. We thought it was going this way. We'll see what their next name is. I know there's some legal ramifications of that. You know, as a former Redskin, uh, kind of bittersweet. You know, I mean, that was the team I started and finished my career with. So, um, but I think reading recently about the pain, it has evidently caused a lot of Native American youth Seems like a good idea to change it. You know, I always just wonder, I'm always just curious about kind of what's next. A, what's next for the for the Washington new team name? And then B, you know, I've seen stuff about the Chiefs and the Indians and the Braves. And so it almost seems like we should make the decision now. And I know, I'm not going to get into the details of the Redskins, but uh, whether or not those should be changed now or whether or not those are okay as opposed to, changing our mind three years from now, five years from now, whatever the time frame is. For Donovan Smith, listen, every play, Donovan Smith made a bunch of money. Every player has the right, absolutely, to say where I'm at in my life and my health, I don't think it's worth it. More power to you, Donovan. Okay. And I don't think that those comments, right or wrong, are going to ingratiate him with one Thomas Brady. 
Let's get you an email, Brian. Ever wanted to ask an NFL player a question? Well, here's your chance. It's time to ask Ross. The email address is ross at rostucker.com. If and when you take advantage of any of our sponsors or just rate and review the show, which is crazy easy, or just buy something at Amazon that you're going to buy anyway, you are able to ask me any question that you would like to ask me. It is really that simple. It's that awesome. By the way, I am giving away, if we have any entries, I am giving away an ID card from the NFLPA to anyone that gets the DraftKings Sportsbook app on their phone. Even if you can't deposit yet because you're in a state that's not legal, you can still put the code Ross in and you can still go ahead and screenshot it and send it to me. DraftKings Sportsbook app, code Ross. I will sign on the back so it looks legit. I will sign my NFL PA card. You want to talk about something cool, something nobody else you know has? It's this. So looking forward to it. What do you got, Brian? Hey, Ross. Thanks again for welcoming me to the Tuckhead family. Uh, Looking forward to joining in on the conversation and the virtual happy hours. My question is about team facilities and locker rooms and how much did the training uh, each uh, training room in each team's facility and locker room vary between each team that you were on was one team's facility much superior or upscale compared to the other ones you played for and on the other side how much did the visitor team locker rooms vary between stadiums were they smaller or did it greatly vary between each stadium thanks for keeping me entertained with all the podcasts uh, I signed up for Patreon at the Tuckhead level and would love a press pass or signed picture if possible. This is from Ryan Walker. Thanks, Ryan. This is awesome because I've actually met Ryan now via the virtual happy hours we do via the Zooms. It's been fun to have beers with him. He's had, I think one of the times he had Trogues and I had Trogues because he he lives here in central Pennsylvania near Hershey. So, Ryan, it's kind of cool to get an email question from someone that I now know what you look like and I've talked to you directly the answer is there is a wide variance from team to team and facility to facility in terms of both the year-round training facilities and the stadiums and a big difference between home locker rooms and visiting locker rooms as well there i'll start with the locker rooms there are some teams that they want both locker rooms to be nice. They want all the locker rooms to be nice, just sort of the standard they're setting. And so the away team locker room's nice. There are other teams where they want it to be Spartan. They want it to be bad. I can remember when you play at the Meadowlands, you know, um, this is before MetLife Stadium. The home locker rooms were nice. The away locker rooms were terrible. And there's a bunch of teams that are like that. You know, Buffalo, the home's a lot better than the away. They purposely want to make the away bad a lot of times. They want you to be uncomfortable. They want you to be complaining and unhappy and whatever. So absolutely there's a big difference. And then I can remember, Ryan, a couple times when I got cut that I would do tryouts at other teams' facilities. And, like, I was amazed at how bad some – like the Vikings' old facility, terrible. The Bucks' old facility – bad like college football you need to have awesome facilities to get the recruits to come 
NFL guys are going there because of the money. They're going there for their contract. They're not going there, oh, you have a really nice facility. I'll take $500,000 a year less. No, not happening. So there's actually a wide range, wide spectrum. It's a good question, Ryan. Really, really appreciate it. Appreciate also those of you that take advantage of sponsors like ExpressVPN or DraftKings Sportsbook app and get that awesome. I mean, I mean, dude, who you can enter right now and probably be the winner. Just put the code Ross in. Uh, the promo code when you get the DraftKings Sportsbook app on your phone. It's that easy. Anyway, that'd be a very cool thing to have. And we'll pick the winners on Friday when we talk to Andrew Brandt. Absolutely listen to today's Even Money podcast as well. Got my buddy Eli Hershkovich coming on. A lot to talk about with him. Other than that, shout outs to Pizza Boy Brewing, DynastyFreaks.com. I think we're done here. Thanks for listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Fantasy Feast, Even Money, Business of Sports, and College Draft. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found.